Welcome to Office Hours, the social science podcast produced at the University of Minnesota, featuring conversations with prominent scholars, researchers, and other movers and shakers in the social world. In this episode, Kyle talks with Neil Karen and Sarah Gabby about their research on the Occupy movement's presence on social networking sites. Topics include the methodological promises and challenges of studying popular sites like Facebook, as well as the potential of online social networking for fostering social change. This conversation was part of a roundtable discussion on the Society pages on social scientists studying social movements. You can find a link to the rest of the roundtable on the societypages.org slash office hours in the links for this episode. I was wondering if you could just briefly describe your study and what drew you to this topic. Um, sure. Uh, our study is primarily looking at how um, members of Occupy across the country used Facebook. Um, and so what drew us was um, what I think drew everybody to having an interest in Occupy movement. It was sort of a new political movement that was gathering, gathering lots of coverage, that was bringing lots of people into city streets, um, and it was you know, pretty exciting to watch. And um, one of the things that we noticed was that sort of social networking communication was a big part of uh, how the movement was organized um, and how the movement was communicating with other people. So uh, we thought we'd take a look and see how the movement was using um, social media. Okay. Did, um, had the two of you worked together before or how did you decide to work on this project together? Uh, we have worked together before. Right before we started this project, we were working on looking at an online community of white nationalists. Okay. Um, we were looking similarly at how they're utilizing the Internet in terms of forming social movement communities. And so it was sort of an easy transition to move on to looking at the Occupy movement in a similar way. Okay. Um, so what was your original methodological plan when you set out to um, do this research? Sure. Our original plan was to just gather all the data we could. Um, so we found a list that someone had put together of about 400 Occupy pages. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we supplemented that by our own reading of Facebook. Um, Sarah did an awesome job of just cruising around Facebook looking for new pages um, uh, devoted to local occupations or national occupations. With those pages, the 400 pages you're referring to, are those all on Facebook or are you talking about the regional sites that people created? Um, here we were just focused on pages that were on Facebook. Okay. Um, a lot of, yeah, a lot of local occupations were using and the national occupation were using all sorts of social media from, and and Web.1.0 stuff. Um, so, you know, Twitter, live stream, um, and Facebook and setting up their own websites were all sort of big components. Um, and so, but we chose to focus on Facebook, uh, for two reasons. One, because, uh, like we noticed that it was significant and particularly a significant way that people were communicating, um, uh, both within the movement, but also to non, you know, activists that is sort of sharing on Facebook is pretty common and it was in, in life. And so it was, uh, not surprising that people were using it to share information about Occupy as well. Um, and the second reason was that it's sort of, because it's a contained universe of Facebook, there's a sort of routine way to gather the data from the public pages. So that made, um, collecting the data and getting it into a data set that social scientists are used to working with a little bit easier. 
So what did uh what did this what does the data set actually look like? What type of things were you able to take off the site and download? We uh collected all of the sort of like names of these groups and their URLs, and then we went into their pages, um, and we were able to capture the posts and the comments, users of the pages. Um, anytime that anybody interacted with the page publicly, we were able to capture that sort of data. Um, so this has allowed us to also expand our data set to include additional groups, uh, which we gathered from group-to-group contact. So anytime, you know, Occupy Boston would post on Occupy Wall Street, we would be able to see that there was a connection between those two. Um, and so that really allowed us to look at some more local groups that we might not have otherwise easily found, especially groups that were smaller in number and participation. That seems like an incredibly massive data set. What are you, how are you going through and processing it? Um, sure. We're using a bunch of tools. Um, for the most part, though, we've, we've been using um, just plain old Stata um, to download everything um, and then to uh, get it into shape. Um, so Stata for those, I don't, I don't know, for anyone who's interested, but um, Stata has, you know, pretty fine capabilities for accessing web pages and then scraping them to get the relevant information, mm-hmm. uh, which is what we've been doing. Um, we're slowly transitioning over to Python and sort of more robust languages for handling this um, because of the sort of for two reasons. One, the size of the data set has now become massive that um, the speed issues with data are a little bit of a problem. Um, and the comments and, and and one sort of gathering and collecting all these long text files um, isn't what the traditional statistical software is for and um, and processing the data that is sort of making sense of the words is also um, not um, Stata or or what ha- or other common statistical packages strong suits. Are there um, so when you're when you're downloading the data, are you looking at the types of conversations taking place, or you're more interested in uh, the connections being formed between people and groups, or what? How are you looking at it? Uh, we're actually interested in both. Um, and we've spent some time looking at sort of what specifically people are posting. Um, we did a little bit of analysis to look at the most uh, commented on posts. Um, and a lot of those we found were sort of um, interesting and maybe uh, not exactly what we would have expected. Um, one of the most common ones is this sort of older man holding a sign talking about, you know, his experience in the Navy and his sort of like anti-corporate message. Mm-hmm. Um, and other ones were things like uh, misrepresentation of the movement in the media or things like that. Um, and so we've been looking some already at sort of the what's in the text of these posts and comments. Um, and that's something we're planning to do some more of in the future as well. So with this type of research, uh, a lot of times people talk about access. So with this data, it was completely available to anyone who wants to download it? Or how did you go about um, gaining access to it? Uh, so, yeah, it's completely available. Part of that is the way these pages were set up. And so these are all public Facebook pages. So anyone can um, comment on them. Anyone can see them. And so very close to sort of a standard web page, which is not the default for Facebook, right? So most people's Facebook pages are only visible, you know, by their friends and friends of friends and those sorts, all those sorts of huge privacy issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, to one, to respect those privacy issues, and two, because the data isn't there we um, or isn't easily accessible, we restricted ourselves to just looking at sort of the, at the publicly available um, data. So, um, so yes, anybody can get it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but the, but the downside of that is that it's definitely understating um, how people are using um, Facebook to um, uh, talk about occup and sort of organize around the Occupy movement. Because my guess is probably ten times as many people you know, mention the Occupy movement to their friends or just post it on their personal wall. And yeah. um, sort of we're missing all of that, conver- mm-hmm. all those conversations. Okay. Uh, were you focused on specific members of the group when you were doing the research, um, whether they were leaders of the movement, uh, people who were actually on those pages who might be speaking against the Occupy movement, um, or was it just anything you can get you were seeking? Um, we were not specifically focused on that. We were getting all of the information that um, it was possible to get. What we have started to look at since collecting the data um, is some interconnectedness between people who maybe sort of are like your super connectors in a movement. These are people who are posting on, you know, 10 different Occupy sites and things along those lines. Um, that's a direction we're planning to go in. Uh, in terms of people posting against the movement, we actually collected also uh, pages which were anti-Occupy pages, Um, These are like unoccupy Austin or something like Mm -hmm. that, um, which tend to have sort of more of a negative spin on what's going on in their cities um, or nationally with the movement. And so we've captured some of both of those things, but we weren't directly looking for that. Were there are there a lot of people active on the anti occupy movement pages? I've never seen those before. Yeah, it's really mixed. Uh, One or two are are relatively large, but for the most part, these are very small um, sort of locally based anti pages. Um, I think it's part of the reason is that they're not so popular um, in terms of sort of common language. So you wouldn't necessarily know to go and look for your anti-Occupy Austin page. Um, and so they're they're sort of drawing on a smaller group. Okay. Um, did your own political view uh, affect this research in any way? Um, I mean, this is one of the things that came up a lot when we look at people who are doing ethnographic projects and... Uh, entering a certain social movement, but I'm curious how it might have affected you researching the Occupy movement. I mean, I don't know that it has that much. Um, I'm definitely sympathetic to the Occupy movement, um, and maybe that piqued my interest a little bit, but um, I I don't know that it's influenced sort of how we've studied it or how we've looked at it or our findings um, in any way that I've been able to recognize or been conscious of. Um, Prior to this, we'd worked on the... um, uh, setting white nationalists or, or white supremacists on the internet. Um, and there we, um, a movement that I, I don't support, um, but that, um, and, but I'm not sure that it, uh, and there, in fact, sort of, we took a neutral stance on it in, in the, uh, one of the articles that we prepared. And actually one of the reviewers was sort of didn't like this at all, but it was like, oh. well, how could you treat it neutrally? This, you know, group that spends so much time denying the Holocaust and things like that. Like, yeah. how can you just objectively take their, you know, take their terminology and, uh, and uncritically just state their beliefs. Um, but so, um, uh, so I, so at least I take that to be a pretty good sign that we haven't been letting sort of our own um, beliefs certainly overshadow the way we conduct the research. Very much sort of just trying to portray the movement um, as um, uh, as we find it. Mm-hmm. Do you have any plans to uh, try to publish your findings or share your research on any of the Facebook pages? Um, or have you been in any co- contact on those Facebook pages at all? Or um, were you more just a uh, observer from above and never um, being engaged with them. 
You know, so far we've just been an observer from above, but I'd really like um, to get some feedback from people as we, um, um, you know, as we push forward with this. It'd, it'd be great to hear from some Occupy people about how they used Facebook. I don't know if we're necessarily going to be conducting um, qualitative interviews to supplement our analysis, um, but I definitely want to know, you know, if, if what we were saying sort of rang a bell um, with uh, the people who are setting up these pages. Have you seen, um, so you're still continuing to collect uh, the data at this point, or have you stopped the data collection? Uh, nope. Every day we're downloading more data and sort of uh, searching around the edges of Facebook to try and find new groups. Have you seen the number of people, um, any patterns in the number of people involved or active on the pages? Has that declined or is it still growing? Um, in terms of the sort of gross number, we've found a lot more people now, but um, our sort of participation in terms of one day's poster comments, um, as we currently have our data, peaked on October 11th, which with around 64,000 posts or comments on wow. that day. Um, so based on the data that, that we have currently in our data set, that's sort of uh, been the high point. Um, but as it stands, we have in our data 1,400 groups um, and over 3 million posts and comments. So it's it's definitely not a trivial number. Yeah, that, that's amazing. I, As someone who uh, is usually engaged in more ethnographic projects, it's hard for me to even understand how you could grapple with that much data at once. <laughs> um, yeah, it becomes a, it, it's a problem um, in a lot of ways, but in other ways, you know, it allows us to focus on a couple of, you know, key moments. So as Sarah mentioned earlier, we were looking at, you know, what were the hottest posts, uh, hottest posts or hottest pictures that were um, posted to Facebook. And so, you know, using the sort of big data that we had, we just sort of aggregated it and counted up, well, which one had the most number of comments, which had the most number of likes, which had the most number of, you know, new users showing up, um, and then sort of focus on those pages or pictures to try and get some initial sense of um, what's going on. Um, so there's definitely been this back and forth between the big picture numbers and the, and then sort of just reading the comments, looking at the pictures um, to try and make sense of the overall um, story. So the goal of this podcast is to talk about methods, but since I find this such a fascinating project, I was wondering if you'd share a few more of the initial findings or patterns that you've um, found particularly exciting or surprising as you've been doing the research. Sure. Um, one of the patterns that we sort of caught on to early on was this shift away from sort of like national groups and participation um, to local participation. Uh, almost, I would say, uh, more than, I don't know, definitely more than two thirds of our groups in our data set at this point are local groups. Um, and so, you know, we thought this was a sort of a really interesting shift for a movement that started sort of so nationally um, and on Wall Street. So that's been really interesting to sort of watch all these groups grow. There's groups in all 50 states, um, for instance. Um, but one of the other things that we noticed early on was that these sort of hotbeds for Occupy movement were things like college towns, that there was a lot of uh, participation in those areas. Um, so there's been some interesting patterns that emerge. State capitals also seem to draw attention. Um, it also seems to be linked to population size in metropolitan areas. Um, things along those lines have sort of pointed us towards where these these uh, sets of Occupy groups are denser. Did you find any patterns in terms of the age of the participants? Were they generally younger in college age? You mentioned college towns. Um, 
Was there anything you were finding with the age of people involved? Right. So one of the huge limitations or a limitation, we'll put a medium sized limitation of this is that we don't know that much or anything about uh, the people outside of what they report in their own comments. Um, So we don't Facebook does again, because Facebook is kind of good with privacy issues. You can't just pull up and scrape um, each person's, you know, public profile or even, or their Mm. private profile. Um, for each of the users, which is a slight limitation. Um, the only thing that you can pull up is user gender, which we haven't um, done yet because it would require us to, for each of the um, 300,000 um, users that we've identified, go to their own page. And so that's that's a little sort of uh, resource intense that we haven't yeah. <laughs> uh, thought was worth the effort. Um, so we don't know. So our descriptive data is more about sort of is just sort of descriptive data based on sort of what we observe. So we know, you know, people, how long did people participate and were the people who participated a lot? What type, and we hope to look at, you know, what types of comments did they do? Um, those sorts of things. As far as the, the other demographics and looking at our college question, um, we've definitely been um, thinking about it in terms of, um, you know, the college students um, are, you know, much more likely to use Facebook for all sorts of non-political reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes sense that college towns are where um, um, are where Facebook sort of would potentially be one of the prime mechanisms for organizing online. Um, drawing on the uh, work of Ethan Zuckerman, uh, we've been really observing that it's that it's people are con- you know just using that non-political tools, and then when uh, and then just and, and then when a political issue comes up, um, they use those same sorts of tools um, to politically organize. So, for example, the the main um, uh, group that tried to spread Occupy across the nation, Occupy Together, actually wanted people to set up Occupy um, meetups. Um, meetup, which is sort of a social networking site that was probably big like five or six years yeah. ago, I would say, um, with more sort of move on um, era. Um, but essentially, no one did that. Instead, everyone went to Occupy together and said, oh, yeah, we should do our own, you know, we should do our own occupation. Let's set up a Facebook page yeah. or you know, let's set up a Twitter account. And they did not um, set up a Occupy meetup you know, so um, it really does show that people are using their uh, sort of pre-existing tools um, for political purposes. Were you able to get any sense uh, through looking at the posts on the page if people who were involved in the Facebook page were also going to the Occupy uh, movements and protests and gatherings and being engaged in that manner as well, or was it more people being engaged online as an alternative to being engaged in the streets? Um, and I don't. That might be a big step away from the data at this point. But I'm curious if you got a sense of that. Um, to some extent, we have a sense of that. We haven't looked specifically at what people have said they're doing. Um, what we do know is that there are pages that are created both for both sets of groups. Right? There are pages created for people who just want to go to events and want to organize and figure out how to get to those events or start those events. There are pages created for people who have like Occupy Your Couch. They don't. They can't get involved, but they want to show their support for the movement. Um, so we've seen some of both of that. Let um, more on the group level from what we've looked at so far than on the individual level. Okay. Yeah, right. It's one of the oh. things that's really fascinated me about um, the rise of using things like Facebook or the Internet is that it's very easy to uh, 
put something political on your Facebook page, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be engaged in the same sense as going down and uh, holding a sign or something like that. Right. And so it has been used a lot for recruiting people to events. So we know that there is an interaction between what's happening online and what's happening offline. Um, we don't really know at this point to what extent that occurs. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of the it was sharing information. And so I, I think it was not necessarily a way that people could to sort of um, uh, swap out. And so like, instead of, you know, supporting the movement, you know, instead of showing up to my lo- local occupation, I'm going to, you know, just uh, uh, post things to their page. I think it was much more of sort of a supplement um, to those, you know, you couldn't go every day, or maybe you didn't go at all, but sort of you wanted to express your sympathy. Um, so I think that's potentially what it was replacing or adding to rather than a physical occupation. Okay. Um, were you able to measure the connectedness between the different occupation sites uh, through looking at data sets? Um, yeah, there's uh, the, one of the primary ways that we've been looking at the connectedness is sort of who's been hopping from site to site, um, right? So who's active on more than one page, which is, you know, a, a really good measure of the, the ways that the movement is tied together. Um, and we found that um, of about 73% of the people who were active were active on just one site, um, which means that more than 25% of the people were active on more than one wow. um, page. Um, so definitely a lot of um, hopping back and forth, um, which is, and this is, again, sort of understating the measure because this is only, you know, those who posted or commented on more than one page, not those who looked at stuff on another page. Um, I definitely think that this was, you know, a large part of the picture of how the movement um, sort of was so cohesive nationally. So even though it was more than 300 autonomous occupations, you know, they were often doing very similar sorts of things at, at on the same, you know, day or set of days. Um, not that this was necessarily the, the prime cause, but certainly it was a big part of the um, fast moving flow of information that was happening. So, and one of the, among the more active, in fact, sort of just thinking about the, um, the connectiveness, um, the 25% active on more than one page was among all users. If you looked at when we sort of restricted it to those who had been sort of more active, so those uh, who had posted or commented more than um, 10 times, um, we found over half of them wow. were um, active on more than one page. Did you see what type of... Uh posts they were putting on on other pages was was it more this is how we're organizing here here's an idea for how you can organize there or did you feel like what type of communication was it that you were seeing you know we haven't looked at that a super lot a lot um a a decent amount of it is sort of statements of solidarity so we noticed a lot of the big you know uh uh one of the major genres of popular posts is like police are coming or you know beware Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the police are coming tonight, essentially variations on that. Or look at this police brutality or, you know, those sorts of things about ongoing events. Um, and so I, those were definitely a big part of the um, drawing people in from a lot of different sites, um, um, activity across sites. We've also seen a lot of reposting, you know, something will get posted in Occupy Boston and we'll see it again in another site. So there are, there are sort of people who are taking these um, things that they're getting from one Occupy site and sharing them on another site. Um, and that, that is how some of the information is traveling between groups as well. Um, to, this is a bit of a larger question. Um, 
But considering how much attention has been paid to the Occupy movement from uh, whether it's mainstream media or uh, independent bloggers or uh, Twitter, things like that, what do you feel uh, is the advantage or what does sociological research on a protest and social movements offer when it's already covered to such a high degree? Um, sure. I mean, I think that there uh, is part of the sort of background for sociology of how we look at social movements, of looking at and the series of questions that we ask, you know, who participates, um, how do tactics diffuse across different sites, um, what conditions make certain outcomes more likely, what role do organizations have. Um, there's this sort of series of, of, of questions that are at the core of um, the study of social movements um, that I think aren't necessarily the ones that um, journalists or activists are necessarily interested in. Um, not that our questions are inherently better than their questions, um, but they are sort of slightly different. And I think the sort of focus that we bring to it is good. Um, and also the sort of methodological rigor that we bring to it is also um, uh, unique, um, not necessarily the rigor of our study, but you know, there's people out there doing surveys. Um, there's people out there doing content analysis. Um, and so I think bringing it all together, um, uh, gives us a sort of richer picture of what the movement, this movement or, or any movement is about. Do you have any advice for people setting out to research social movements, whether it's the Occupy movement or, um, any other type of movement? Uh, do you, have you seen common methodological errors or is there something that you've learned through this process that you think is particularly important to keep in mind? Um, so is this any general advice for someone who might be inspired by a project like this? Well, I mean, I think one sort of core thing um, is to not study the movements that are popular. Um, so, I'm, and this is something that I'm definitely guilty of, is studying, looking at Occupy, looking at the Tea Party. Um, these are movements that are popular um, and sort of everyone knows about. They're in the media. Um, and so by selecting on that um, characteristic, sort of well-known, um, we potentially are missing a lot of the movements mm -hmm. um, that are happening. Um, so... Uh, although we slightly are trying to overcome that by looking at all the different occupations um, across the country. Um, and so uh, we're hoping to look at this at data, for example, that looks at where there was protests, where there was encampments, trying to match that up with the Facebook data to try and figure out, well, you know, why, why wasn't there occupations in certain cities? Um, and so that's, um, it's, so one sort of um, advice would be uh, to do that. Okay. Um, did you have anything that uh, you've learned from the experience, Sarah, that you wanted to share? Um, in terms of methodological procedures or? Or ad advice to someone who's setting out to do uh, research on social movements from more of a, say, quantitative angle or looking at networks. You know, I think that there's a lot of tools that maybe are, are underutilized or just coming into being in, in a way that can be utilized. Um, what was really lucky for us about the Occupy movement was that one of its stances was to be so public with what it was doing. Mm -hmm. um, so for us, we were really able to capture all of the Facebook pages because they were so public. Um, and, you know, Twitter has been used some in social science research as well, but the, these tools are sort of popular and people know about them. There's also a lot of other tools that are that are coming into being. Um, there's a lot of, of pages that these Occupy sites created as well that could be looked at. Um, but it's always, I think, useful to think about all the possible data that's out there and try to think of creative ways to capture movements. Have you seen others in sociology or outside sociology that are uh, taking a similar approach of um, using Facebook data or something like Twitter um, 
downloading the data and, and analyzing it? Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is this is big in the um, communications departments okay. um, where they are uh, where sort of downloading and analyzing um, Twitter or looking at Google Trends and things like that to try and um, get meaning is big. Um, there's huge branches of computer science and machine learning um, that are about ways to categorize the data, find common themes, um, and for the, for the most part, they're not doing this for, for political purposes. It's more sort of you know how can we develop a better uh, PageRank algorithm? How can we develop a better um, Amazon recommendation system? Um, but the the sort of problems that they're solving um, sort of fit well into our uh, the types of questions that social scientists often have. You know, how do we, you know, there's people working on questions like, you know, the Google News, um, right? So when you go to Google News, it's an automated procedure that decides, you know, here's 20 news stories, you know, and then breaks down. But how does Google News, uh, through its algorithm, know that this is a news story about, um, about Lindsay Lohan's most recent, you know, trip to her probation officer yeah. versus some other news story about um, it? And how does it categorize them together? Well, these are the same sort of, sort of clustering techniques that social scientists are often interested in. And, you know, how can we make sense of a large um, text database? Um, so part of, so going back to your earlier question about, you know, ways to research, one of the ways is to draw on methods that are outside of so sociology and look towards people where, you know, this analyzing big data is a, you know, a fundamental part of what they do. And they've got a lot of uh, sort of nifty tricks that we can um, borrow. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other thing I would say would be that, um, that there should be, you know, more people studying, more sociologists studying Twitter and Facebook, uh, that the sort of, it's a great way to collect your own data. Um, and it's not just data for data sake. It is, um, people, Twitter and Facebook are meaningful to people. So not just yeah. for social movement scholarship, but all sorts of scholarship. You can look at expressions, you know, how people, um, uh, are interacting, um, and for a whole host of questions that are fundamental to sociology. And so there was one, um, study that was either in science or nature by uh, Michael Macy that was uh, at Cornell that was published that looked at Twitter data. And so part of that was, you know, the uh, rhythms of your day, um, right? Are people happy, you know, when are people happier or sadder um, using uh, Twitter data and then using uh, uh, sentiment analysis, like how often did they say the word angry and things like that. Um, so, uh, so definitely there are sociologists working on this, but there, there should be more. Yeah. It seems like an, an incredibly rich area. I mean, I've seen studies where people talk about, or look how people are using Facebook, but there's, I haven't seen much where people are actually looking at what's happening on Facebook Excel itself rather than focusing on the user. Um, so I, I think it's very fascinating. Yeah, 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 it definitely is. I mean, a lot of it, though, is limited by the, um, and for potentially good reasons, it's limited by the privacy issues. Mm -hmm. So there was the study of the cohort of um, Harvard first years um, that was done and sort of how they did and was a, and how they used Facebook. Um, but that study appears to, you know, have run into a lot of issues about privacy and, you know, how exactly, you know, how much information was gathered and all sorts of things. And so um, not to say that they did anything wrong, um, but just it, it's uh, there's a lot of um, implications and uh, for privacy that need to be thought through. And that um, my guess is potentially IRBs would be very hesitant um, yeah. to approve these, which, you know, so that's why we use the public things for Facebook 
Um, another thing that people can use is, is, is data from Twitter, which similarly makes data available, although you have to sort of gather it that day. They don't preserve much data um, for researchers. Um, but the sort of defaults on Twitter are public. Um, okay. So uh, when you're gathering the public data from Twitter, you're gathering um, uh, you know, a much more representative sample of what's being said than, than the public data on um, Facebook, which is very specific. Um, and so for researchers, for example, Twitter allows you to download um, a sample of, their, um, of all the tweets being published. Um, so it's just with a single URL, you can get a constant stream of like roughly 1% of all things that are being tweeted. Um, and so probably with, you know, so it's a great way to collect uh, data if, if you've got a good question that match that, that uh, the data can answer. Um, so for people who are interested in hearing more about the research and the results, are you in the process of writing articles or is it uh, far down the road? Um, we have some of our res early results online um, on Social Science Research Network, um, and we are in the process of uh, working on some papers, which we hope to publish. Um, we're we're going to present uh, at the American Sociological Association meeting in August as well. Okay. Um, so there there are some opportunities to see what we're working on um, as it stands now. Okay, well, thank you again. I find this project very fascinating. I'm looking forward to seeing what you write up. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time to join us on the podcast. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. That's all for this episode. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to check out the full roundtable discussion with Neil Karen, Sarah Gabby, along with Jeffrey Alexander, Nathan Klo, Myra Max Faree, David S. Meyer, and Fabio Rojas. We needed a big roundtable for this one, didn't we? You can find a link to the roundtable on the societypages.org slash office hours. Thanks for listening.